politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Welcome to the Dad Presents, you guys. Thank you so much for spending some of your day with me. I appreciate it. Yes, you can see it yet again. We're in a new location. You see, the world's falling apart, and the dad has moved the operation to an undisclosed underground bunker somewhere in Pennsylvania. We're stocked up with food and water and bullets, a couple cows, some goats, you know, all the stuff you need. And we're going to stay here until you guys get your shit together because it's ugly out there. I'm kidding, guys. I hope this sounds okay. I got a new mic. This is a handheld mic. I don't have my studio. I'm back home in Pennsylvania getting the kids in touch with their family, the grandparents, the cousins, all that. It's great. I want to get those uncultured, dirty rugrats some family time and you know, teach them about the dad's history growing up and all that. It's been great. Um, anyway, we got a great, great show for you today with a very impressive young man. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to jump right in. Let's first get a word about our sponsor, and that is expressvpn.com slash the dad. Now, look, guys, if you don't know yet what a VPN blocker is, then you're obviously a lot older than me because I'm hip and I'm young and I know shit. So I'm tired of explaining things to you. Take your old ass to Google and look it up because I'm not holding your hand through life no more. You got to take care of yourself. The world is getting rough and you got to be able to figure these things out, but you need a VPN blocker to protect your privacy from all the creeps in government and corporate America who want to spy on you and sell your data. Don't let them block them. Get a VPN blocker, expressvpn.com slash the dad. You get three free months, three months. Who else gives you three free months of anything? If you don't like it, cancel before the fourth month. All good. But that would be dumb. So don't be dumb. All right, man. Let's get into the show with our guest, Daniel Schmidt. All right, you guys. Now, often on this show, we discuss the kids, you know, the dad presents and everything that's going on in the schools. But we rarely ask the kids how they feel about things. So today we have on a bright young man who just finished his freshman year at the University of Chicago. He went viral about a month ago or two months ago. Uh, humiliating a propaganda pushing journalist from the Atlantic who was doing a campus event on disinformation with other liars like Eric Holder. His name's Daniel Schmidt. You probably recognize him. He's an impressive young man. And look, if we're going to figure out what our kids need, maybe we should spend more time talking to the kids and less time listening to 50-year-old childless experts with purple hair who go by pronouns like ghost self, wolf kind, they, them, whatever. Thank you very much for joining us, Daniel. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this will be different for us. So I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to get inside your head. Um, you came into the public consciousness a couple months ago um, when a professional grown woman, a grown journalist from the Atlantic, I think her name was Annie Applebaum, was completely humiliated by you in a very simple question. Uh, we've actually played that clip on this show before because it was so profound. I didn't even realize when we asked you to be on the show that that was you. We asked you on for a different reason. Uh, but I want to refresh our audience before we get into that and play the clip for them right now. Okay. 
Go for it. So amazing. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. I'm Daniel Schmidt. I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. My question is for Ms. Applebaum. Um, so in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, a poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And what can we learn from that in ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality? I, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is, I think, totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or... I mean, I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I, I, didn't fi- I don't find it to be interesting. I mean, that, that would be my problem with the, that as a, as a major news story. Uh, we're going to talk about more of this uh, tomorrow in our first uh, panel, so stand by. Um, and I, I think we have run out of time. So I really only hear one mature adult in that conversation. And it's definitely not that old lady. She didn't, she didn't answer your question. Your question was about spreading misinformation about Hunter Biden's laptop. And she just glossed right over it, dismissed it as being uninteresting. Like we don't give a shit what she thinks is interesting. That's not actually her job. Her job is reporting the facts and you called her out on it. Were you surprised with how unprepared she was to handle such an obvious question? You know, honestly, I don't I don't think I was surprised because look, here's here's the bottom line why people like her go to, you know, these conferences, right? So my school, the university the University of Chicago held this grand, you know, disinformation conference. I've heard from some people in the know that they might have spent millions on this conference to get people like Obama there. They had Brian Stelter there. They had some big names in the uh, in the blue check mark sphere. So they come here, they, you know, they cash a fat check and they expect these kids Um, Because, you know, I go to a very sort of elite school, if you want to call it that, you know, these kids, they want to make it up into the ranks. So these, you know, these figures like Applebaum, they go to these conferences and they expect these kids to ask just the most softball questions you can imagine. You know, why are you so great? How do you deal with racism? How do you deal with sexism? So it's like, you know, it's like a field trip for them. And so if any kid just goes up and just asks a remotely, you know, challenging question or just doesn't, you know, the kid doesn't have to be a, a conservative. He could just be a slightly curious kid. They'll fall apart. And I think this example right there really just shows that my goal wasn't to sort of get her in a, in a gotcha situation. My goal was not to get viral. I wanted to see if when she was put on the spot, if she would be honest and admit, you know, yeah, the media kind of messed up and, you know, it shows we're, you know, we're, we're pretty biased and we're not, we, we don't really care about what average Americans think. If she had answered it like that, I would have truly respected her. I would say, wow, you know, maybe these people aren't really that bad. Instead, she did the very opposite. She said, we don't care. Or she said, I don't care. Right. And that's my yeah, answer. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me right now? And to make yeah. matters worse, if you actually go through her tweets, you find that during the Trump years, she was all about what Trump's children were doing. She was all about what Donald Trump Jr. was doing and what Ivanka Trump was doing. But when you have Hunter Biden's laptop and you have clear evidence of corruption and you have clear evidence that the president himself was involved, she doesn't care. I mean, it's, you know, you can't even make it up. And to put the cherry on top, she actually blocked the Twitter account for the publication I write for. I write for a student publication at the University of Chicago. We published a clip. She blocked us on Twitter. So that is how she responds to a bunch of kids. Yeah. So she's she couldn't answer the question 
even later after that, then she, she blocks you guys. She still can't answer it. So they they've put out massive amounts of disinformation. It's you're, you're going, you're, you're giving a speech on disinformation. It's only logical that you're going to be called out on that disinformation and be asked about it. They were completely unprepared for it. Is that because your university is, is like generally liberal and they just thought like everybody's in on the game or are they that dumb? Do you think that they, they don't even see the disinformation they're putting out. Like they, they can't even acknowledge it. Yeah. I mean, look, I always say, you know, people like her, they won't go to like University of Alabama, right? They won't go to, uh, to, to, to schools that have majority conservative students. They'll go to schools knowing that everyone there is going to, you know, obediently stay in line and never ask any challenging questions. But at the same point, I really think these people are as arrogant and as self-centered as they, as they look. I mean, these people really exist in their own sphere. They don't, they don't, they never care about normal people. They don't think about what normal people care about. They write these long essays about stuff that no one cares about and no one knows about. And they really just exist in their own bubble and, you know, and they get away with it constantly. They really do. And if you just, again, if you just confront them, they'll just say, I don't care. Be quiet, kid, be quiet person. And, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's honestly disgusting. It really is. Yeah, it is. They, they couldn't handle you and then they dismissed you. It it's, it was just shameful. And you're an impressive guy. I, I mean, I can't, you're 18 years old. I, I, I remember myself at that age. I was just a mess. Uh, you're an impressive guy. And, and I came across you on Twitter. And that's what I want to talk about here. Um, there was a post from a professor, another liberal professor, who was concerned or her child was concerned that most young white males seem to be sinking into this hole of, of on the alt-right sphere, which I wasn't actually aware of. I didn't realize that most young white males were alt-right. I don't know if that's true, but this child and her mother were very concerned about that. And she posted about that and you responded and your response was so profound and insightful that I had to ask you to be on the show. I thought it was tremendous. Um, And then of, of course, like you were just talking about with Annie Applebaum, this woman blocked you after you responded instead of responding to what you said. Um, Tell us a little bit about why you think there's so many young white males who are funneling into the alt-right, as they call it. Sure. Yeah, I think it's important to talk about. And clearly, you know, this person blocked me, so she doesn't actually care. Um, Well, I think first we have to establish that what these people like this professor consider alt-right is not really all right, right? She no. would consider people like Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson. She would call these people alt-right when, you know, as we know, they're not really all right. They're more or less mainstream conservatives. There are a lot more people who are way more to the right than they are. But just to make it clear, she considers- Some would even call them like, somewhat libertarian. Yeah. And I'm sure she would probably call your show all right too. So just yeah. to keep in mind the, the context of it all, but yeah, I mean, long story short, I think we have to really examine, I, I don't even fundamentally disagree that many young men are going to the right, but I think there's a reason. And I think the real reason is young men, especially young white men nowadays, they feel increasingly unwelcome and unaccepted by today's society. And I gave some examples. I said, you know, imagine just for a minute, you're like an eighth grade boy and you're starting to be told by your teachers, maybe even your parents and certainly the media that you're privileged because you're a male, right? This is kind of like accepted truth nowadays that if you're a boy, you're privileged and you have to just accept it. 
But then when you go through school, you notice that young men are more and more dropping out. Young men are becoming addicted to pornography. They're doing drugs at higher rates. They're going to college less. They're, they're being more uncontrollable in classrooms. And this was an observation I made when I was in school. I was in you know a few advanced classes, honors classes. I looked around me. I noticed most of the people in this class were girls. I noticed most of the people who were getting the, you know, the best scores were girls. I noticed most of the people who were getting into top schools were girls. Right. And then I go to these college campuses. Those are just facts, too. Of course. And then I go to these college campuses. And what is the school's biggest pride? Oh, we have a woman in law chapter and a woman in business chapter. Oh, we have this many women in the school. It's like, so this is all young men here. They never they never hear about the concerns that young men are going through. Like, no, you know, men have the highest suicide rate or they're most likely to be arrested, go to prison, uh, be on drugs, you know, so on, like on and on and on. I mean, the issues young men are going through is tremendous. And no one talks about it and that's not even you know considering the the falling sperm counts and the fatherlessness all of this stuff going on and who are the only people that are talking about these issues it's right-wing alt-right people so is it any surprise that young men are becoming right-wing when no one talks about their concerns and then when people like this professor she says at the very end you know my solution is inclusive programming and a historical lens and it's like, what is this BS? And I, I, I concluded this all by saying it's almost like their goal is to demoralize and demonize young men because they know and, you know, from history, young men are the ones who are always, you know, they're the ones who are most likely to fight against the system and really challenge the ruling class. And they want, yes, yes. you know, they want weak young men. They want demoralized young men. They want hostility. They want people. They, they really want to damage people. And I said that and a lot of people agreed with me and she proceeded to block me. So, yes, yes. And, and that, that shows you that these people really have no argument when they won't even respond to an 18 year old kid. Like she's a, she's a professor and, and her response to your very, um, you know, your, your, your criticism was not, it wasn't like one of these kids your age who gets all emotional and an angry outburst. It was very concise. It was very logical. There was data in it. And she had no comeback to that. She just blocked you. It shows you how vapid their arguments are. Now, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with colleges wanting to promote women, wanting to promote minorities. These are good things. But you're right when you say they. it, it seems like the educational system is starting to leave behind young white males. And what you're saying uh, about young white males being starting to be drawn to the right, because that's the only place that any, where anyone is talking to them is a lot. What I think we saw with Donald Trump getting elected, like middle America was forgotten by most politicians and Donald Trump, whether he actually cared about these people or not is irrelevant. He spoke to the things they cared about and that resonated with them and they voted for him. So I think it's the same kind of parallel there. Now you you mentioned um, pornography and that's something I wanted to to get into a little bit later because I remember being your your age and, you know, hormones are, they're fucking out of control. Um, But when I was your age or, or younger, you know, like middle school, when you're first, when you're first coming of age, the only access we had to porn was like sneaking into my buddy Chris Seffrin's dad's attic to get his old play, you know, his playboys from 1970. And then we'd sneak him out to the pit and rifle through these crusty old pages. Like it was, it was, it was awful. Now you guys have everything right at your fingertips. Anything you want to see, it's right there at your fingertips. Um, 
do you see a lot of your buddies, a, a lot of, a lot of people in your school, like is porn addiction, a big thing is, are kids becoming hypersexualized? Is it killing sex drive? Like what is, what is the easy access to porn doing to young men? No, certainly. I mean, you know, if I'm going to be honest, I think like if there's one thing that is really hurting young men the most, I would really say it's online porn. I mean, you know, younger and younger ages, I think the average age that a boy views porn now is like 11 or 12. It's insane. Oh and I, I have multiple friends who have opened up to me and said like, yeah, man, I'm addicted to porn. I watch it three times a day. And what does it do to men? I mean, there's so many things. Number one, it distracts them and weakens them. It makes it less likely for them to go out into the world and talk to women and care about things. Because if we're being honest, at the end of the day, what motivates young men the most is sex. And when that desire is fulfilled by something as artificial and as fake as online pornography, they're going to be unmotivated the rest of the day. They're going to, they're going to, you know, go into isolation and loneliness. They're going to retreat into the, you know, the, the, the far right fringes of society because they're going to have no motivation to go out and work. They're going to have no motivation to do really anything when the whole point of life, which is sex and reproduction is completely fulfilled by a video you can find online. And yeah. I heard something very profound a, a while ago that always stuck with me. It's like, why is porn free? I mean, you would think they would so easily capitalize off of porn if they wanted to. I mean, it's like the third most visited web Pornhub is like the third most visited website in the in the world. Why is it free? Why do they make it free? Is there really just, you know, is it is it out of the goodness of their hearts or is there really some 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 secret agenda? Do they really have is it really just monetary motives or do they have some political and social motives? Because it doesn't really make much sense that it's free. And if you really want to get into it, you find out that the top porn websites are all run by the same company called MindGeek. This was one of the first sort of red pills I learned was there's a complete monopoly over the porn market run by a singular company. It's very creepy. But going back to just my observations. Yes, I have many friends who have told me I'm addicted to porn. And not only does it distract them, it makes them more interested in some of the most perverted things. I think I, I might be wrong on this, but I think it was found that the most common like search on porn was like mom and son. I mean, what porn is doing is perverting people, making them interested in the most ghastly and disgusting things. Because look, after you watch the same video of a man and woman having sex, you're going to be bored of it eventually. And you're going to be interested in far, far worse things. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is contributing to the transgender spike or the homosexuality spike. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, there's, I mean, much more needs to be said about porn. And again, who's, who are the only people talking about porn? Right-wing people. And it's, I think it's miraculous how so many young women have been manipulated into thinking that porn is empowering. I mean, if young women really woke up to how, it, you know, how that's completely opposite of empowering porn is, I think you would see change. But if you even rile against, if you even say, you know, porn should not be as ubiquitous as it is, you're called a sexist, you're called a white nationalist. It's, it's ridiculous. And they wonder yeah. why so many young men are, are becoming radical, quote unquote, radical. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, I'm impressed with you. Like you, you said something, how old are, are you? 18, 19? How old are I'm, you? I'm 18. Yeah. You're 18. Okay. You said something that took me until my thirties to realize, and, and it's that it's not necessarily sex, but the urge to procreate is what motivates all men. We, everything we do in life, whether we're conscious of it or not, is in pursuit of being able to procreate. Like men without that drive in them, I've said it before, I would be perfectly happy if I had no sex drive, perfectly happily camping out on the beach, getting up in the morning, surfing, smoking a little weed, going to bed. It's that, it's that subconscious need to procreate and then take care of my family that 
that gets me out of bed in the morning and gets me going to work. And if you satisfy that basic need, you know, spreading that seed with some artificial porn, that's going to sap you of all your energy and all your motivation. And you can see that at 18 years old, I never would, that never would have crossed my mind at that age. That's very profound. And I don't think most kids your age see that. And that's why this, the pornography can be so destructive. Like I would have been all in on, on free porn at 18. Are you kidding me? I never would have left the house. So I can imagine how destructive it is to young men. Um, Another thing you said is that you start to build immunity to it. Like you see, you're right. A lot of the porn is directed at like stepmom, step, stepdaughter, this kind of stuff. And, and the porn becomes more and more aggressive. I didn't intend to talk to you about porn, but you brought it up, but it, it is interesting. It does apply. And as a parent of a 12 year old, I'm starting to think about these things. Um, it's starting to get violent, the porn, like normal. When I was a kid, porn was, there's a girl with no pants on. That was porn. Now porn is like, they're choking, they're punching, they're like, it's violence. And in this society where everything is violence, right? Words are violent. Somehow this violent porn is not violent. I, I, that doesn't compute. It almost does seem intentional. I didn't know that. What, what did you say this company was? It owns. Yeah. If anyone, if any of your viewers want to look into this and really be blown away, look into mind geek. It's the company that owns all of the top porn websites. So there's a complete monopoly. There's no competition. There's something sinister going on, and I I really recommend you anyone listening to this look into that because it's really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. That's not one I've heard. What about the screens and dating? So like, okay, my my kid, I didn't have my first date till I was I don't know 16, 17 years old. I had very conservative parents. My boy is 12. We're in California. He's got a girlfriend already. It's very innocent, but his girlfriend's bisexual. He says every you know she's bisexual. She's a virgin. She's 12. She's bisexual. He says every girl in the school that he knows is bisexual or trans. Like it's become a fad. When I was in school, I didn't know a single, maybe there was a bisexual girl or two, but it wasn't the entire school. Has it become a fad? Are they getting, are they, you know, kids are always very trendy. They're always very worried about being popular. Is this something that is catching on because kids want to be cool? Yeah, no, I think you're exactly. I think what 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 porn is to young men, social media is to young girls. I think young women are so impressionable, so susceptible to what you know is deemed cool and important and popular. And I think the youth now, especially young girls, they're the most insecure they've ever been. And so naturally, they're going to want to sort of fit into the crowd. And nowadays, what is what is championed the most? What is celebrated the most? It's the LGBT stuff. And I think that's that's really what's going on there is, the, you know, these, these these young people and especially girls. And I, this is why I, I want to make this point clear. It's not just young men who I think are going through troubles. I think young girls are going through plenty of troubles. And all of the and all of their troubles are you know are being viewed as so amazing and diverse and incredible. It's like it's not really natural that you have, as you say, twelve year old girls thinking they're attracted to the same sex. Like that should not be a thought in their mind. And the fact that that's happening to younger and younger children is really concerning. And I think you know every year the number of kids who identify as LGBT goes higher. I think this year it was one in five. Last year it was one in six. Soon it's going to be one in two. That is just not natural. When you like when you look at human beings from a evolutionary perspective, it doesn't make any sense that one in five kids is attracted to the same sex. We would die out eventually if that happened. It's there's something definitely happening from above. 
of course you can't speak about that unless you're called, you know, then you're called a homophobe. So yeah, that's definitely going on. As for dating, you know, I really think we need to, uh, you know, I think dating apps have really, you know, worsened the sort of playing field. I think dating apps have made sex on demand and, you know, the numbers are all about, and, you know, the sort of incel cultures, they love to cite these numbers and sadly they're true. What you see is like, only 10% of the men are having sex with 90% of the women because Tinder is out and women can just find the hottest men. There's no point of going out in public. There's no point of talking to women. And so basically, if you're just a good looking man and let's say you have a nice paying job, you're basically good to go. But unfortunately, not every man is blessed with amazing genes and blessed with an amazing job and can flaunt his wealth. And so you're seeing, I think now the numbers are out and the most virgins in like human history, or at least in recorded history are happening. I think 30% of men in their 30s have not had sex. Oh and I'm not goodness. saying men need to have, yeah, it's it's insane. And I'm not saying men need to have sex every single day. But as you say, I am sex. <laughs> well, sure, you can say that. But, you know, sex is not, you know, but sex, as you say, it drives it drives everything. And so when you have one in three men not having sex, it's like, what is going on and what is that going to lead to? And again, what, you know, I mean, we have we all actually- these angry, angry men going around in these mass shootings. Maybe that has exactly. something to do with it. I don't know. I mean, the, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. If, if, if a guy if a guy's 30 and he's a virgin. That's an angry motherfucker. I don't care what else is going on in his life. That dude's going to be angry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You mentioned that we're the the women have problems too. The young girls have problems too. But the things that we used to consider problems for them are now being celebrated. Like being a uh, they won't call it a hooker. I don't know what the term a sex worker is now yeah. celebrated as somebody who is taking their independence or taking control of their sexuality. Like that's not something we would have celebrated 20 years ago. And a woman should have the right to do as she wants with her body. If you ask me, and she should be able to charge men for sex. If she wants, if you ask me, that's her business, but I don't think it's something I would want my daughter to do. I don't think I mean, it's something yeah. that we should celebrate. I mean, look at, you know, look, I mean, look at the website OnlyFans. I mean, if you had told someone 10 years ago, yeah, the second you turn 18, you can post your nudes and make upwards of millions of dollars every year. They would say, get out of here. I mean, you know, I mean, I was thinking about this. It's and like, why would, was, it, why would a hot young girl not do that? Exactly. Why if I was not? younger, I mean, like, hell yeah, why not? Like, I can make so much money. I can make more than my parents. It's like, what's stopping them? But then, mm-hmm. you know, it completely makes them, it, I mean, it turns them into a total object and they end up probably regretting it and it turns them miserable and you know, they end up childless because what self-respecting man would want to marry and have kids with a literal online prostitute. But it's like, you know, the allure of money, the allure of fame, many, yeah. you know, most women cannot resist that. Most men, most probably women, a, lot, a lot of grownups. I, I've tried yeah. to convince my wife and her friends to do it. Like the hot, the hot moms of the Riviera, like yeah. get us paid. Yeah. I mean, it's the, you know, money just for that. It's a, it's a hard thing to resist, especially if you're 18. I see why women would fall into the trap. And I see why a lot of young guys would spend their hard earned money on that. Like it's, it's a trap. It's not good. Dating apps. That's another thing. When dating apps came out way back in, I mean, it started with match.com, like in the late nineties, I remember I caught the tail end of that. And I thought it was amazing because you used to go out to a bar or wherever, and you'd talk to three, four girls and that'd be it. And instead you could go on, on match.com and you could talk to hundreds of girls and you could know a little bit about them ahead of time. And I thought that was amazing, but then it evolved from there to these other apps where it's now you're just the swiping. And I have buddies who are my age and they're divorced and now they're back in the dating pool. We're, you know, I'm in my forties. 
and they're, they're swiping with 22 and 23 year olds. And they're bringing a new one home every night because these 22 and 23 year olds are impressed with these guys because they have money and cars and houses. And, you know, girls are attracted to men who can provide some security. So therefore, a lot of young men get left out because the young men don't have any money. So it sounds kind of awesome, but it has some very destructive uh, applications on society. And I don't think we're going back from that. Like, are, do kids anymore meet face to face? Are romances started in the old fashioned way where you meet somebody, you flirt a little bit, you exchange numbers? Does that even happen anymore? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say it's completely dead, but I, I mean, I definitely think we're, we're heading to the point where people are going to say, yeah, I met my wife on Tinder. I met my wife on Instagram. And I think, you know, it's I mean, hookup culture in and of itself is becoming so ubiquitous that if you don't, you know, if you marry young nowadays, you're viewed as like a weirdo. You're viewed as like a member of the Southern Baptist Church. It's like if you want to marry someone at like 22, you're like, what? Get out of there. I mean, what you're seeing is young women are, you know, waiting longer and longer to have children. And unfortunately, they have a clock ticking, you know, young men or just men in general, you know, we're blessed. We can have kids when we're 50 years old. Young women, unfortunately, can't. But I don't know if they're unaware of that or if they think they can somehow beat the odds. So what you're seeing is in their early 20s and late 20s, they're just hooking up with different guys left and right. You know, they work at a, at a job 80 hours a week. They make good money. But then it's like 30 years old. They have no kids and they, you know, they hit the wall to say it, to put it bluntly. They, they don't look so attractive anymore. And next thing you know, they're, 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 they're miserable. And then why do you think we have these blue haired, you know, cat moms who are 30 years old and have BLM in their bios? That's what's oh, happening, man. unfortunately. I mean, childlessness is going to become a crisis. Young women at, at, at record rates do not want to have kids. I can tell you, I have talked to so many girls at my school who have told me I would never want a kid. They're, they're gross. They're annoying. And it's like, that is such a turnoff. Like what man would ever want to be with a woman who says I would never want kids. It's totally disgusting. And again, I, you know, I read these books and I hear, you know, in the fifties and sixties, like every single girl, their dream was to have a family. And it's like, what has happened in the past 50 years? And I really think dating apps have accelerated that. It really has yeah. because dating apps give these women exactly what they want: attention, money, protection, security. But it's not in the long it's not in the long run. It's all artificial and it all goes away um, yeah. after they basically have sex. Yeah, they they're, they they see that sparkly gold and and they they want to reach for that and they're not thinking long term. I'm I'm very impressed with you, Daniel. Very impressed with you. Um, we're because you said that, look, there's nothing wrong with not wanting kids and kids are not for everybody. Being a parent is hard. I always knew I wanted to be a parent but it's hard. It's definitely not for everybody. I know some people who should never be parents and that's fine. But the reality is from, from what I've seen, okay. From people who I've aged side by side with who are now my age and single, the men who are single, my age, who never married, never had kids. They're less happy. The women who never married, never had kids. I don't want to make a generalization because there are some that I know who are happy but I would say 75, 80% of the time, they start to go a little batshit crazy. Well, let me and just I, add, I think, let me just on. add real quick. The data is actually out on this. If you look it up, who are the unhappiest people in society? It's middle-aged women who are, who are, who have no husband. Okay. So let me challenge in- that. What you say oh, the data, ahead. where, what data, how uh, are I they measuring that? 
Sure. I think they did a they did a poll or a study and they examined they, they pulled women of different ages and different sort of statuses. And they just asked, I don't know exactly what they asked, but they they asked a series of questions to sort of measure their happiness. And they found women who are in their mid age, who are in high paying positions and have no husband are the unhappiest people in society. And if, yeah. if, 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 if your audience doesn't believe me, feel free to look it up. And if I'm wrong, tweet at me and I'll retweet it. But that's what I, I've seen I believe you. It, yeah. it makes sense to me. I've seen it, but I just also want to throw the caveat out there that it's very hard to measure happiness, asking a bunch of questions, like really hard to put your finger on what is happiness. Now you ask me, happiness for me is being surrounded by people whom I love and who love me and having enough money to do the things I enjoy, but it's really hard to measure happiness. At the same time, I believe it. It, okay, it, yeah. it makes complete sense. And i I've seen it. Um, so, all right, let's, let's get back to the schools a little bit. Cause we hear, we've heard so much in the past two years about um, what is it? Critical race theory, right? We've heard about it. it. It's been constantly in the news. The right talks about it. Like that's all they're teaching in schools. They're poisoning our kids heads with this critical race theory stuff. Then you, you watch CNN or basically anybody besides Fox and they act like they don't even know what it is. So you just got out of high school. Um, what, where did you go to high school and what is, what was actually the reality where you went? Well, look, I'll be honest. I went to, look, I'm from a very small town in Tennessee. So I did not experience any of this critical race theory stuff in high school. My high school experience was, was very good. I have no complaints about that. It was really when I entered college and that was when I sort of experienced the the other world, if you will, the world of the elite, the world of the highly educated, highly cultured, whatever. And my first real experience of that was, and I'll never forget this, is like my first week of college or my first month, excuse me, I was unable to participate in a debate tournament because I was white. There was this what? tournament. I, 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 I kid you not. I kid you not. There was this tournament. But that, that's, that was that's not racist. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing was they claimed that by excluding white people, they're fighting racism. It was it was a group of students who were having this tournament. It was only it was open to everyone except white people. And I was really? like, wow, like that, that was on the flyer. No, yes. whites need you not even, apply. If you want to go to my Twitter, real D Schmidt, yeah, I have it up. Worry. I have the screenshots. I'm not making this up. And well, share your Twitter with people so they they can. Yes, it is. It is real D Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T. And if you could like link it or something, I would appreciate that. Do but sure. yeah, no, uh, the students are proud about it because they view white people as oppressors as people who have historically done wrong. And even if we say that's true, I'm not going to say white people have always been good people because obviously that's not true. Why should a random, you know, I'm on a full right scholarship. I'm not privileged by any stretch of the imagination. I come from a single mother household. Why should I be called privileged and have to pay for what people did 200 years ago? I mean, are you kidding me? And so that was my first real foray into this world of critical race theory. And it's completely permeated the culture of like these elite schools. I've had professors be like, okay, in this class, we're going to use critical race theory, which just means we're going to view everything from a very racial lens and come to the same conclusion that basically white people are to blame for the problems that black people are going through nowadays. And again, even if we say that's true, that why does that mean an average white kid nowadays should feel should feel bad? for what someone who just looked like them did a hundred years ago, that logic does not follow. And it's, it's evil and it's racist. And I think these people really just, they just it's want, they, 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 they just want average Americans to pay. They want people from middle Tennessee or middle America to pay. And, you know, I always say at my school, I have not met a single middle-class white kid. I'm very low income. I've met plenty of rich white kids. I've met plenty of middle-class black kids. I haven't met a single middle-class white kid. 
Why is no one complaining about the lack of diversity there? No one is saying, well, we need more middle-class white representation. They don't say that because they view them as, as unworthy of even going to these elite institutions. It's, it's very sad. So when I was in college, there, there was none of that. There, yeah. there, there, there was none of that. Um, you know, the, the goal back then, the goal of, of the, I would have considered myself left back then because back then what the left was pushing for was equality. Like we wanted gays to have the right to be married, right? Equal rights. We wanted, we wanted all people, regardless of color, to be treated the same. That was the goal. That's now gone out the window and now it is punish whitey punish men. That's what your generation is experiencing. Is that coming from the generation above you? Is that coming from kids your age who their minds have been poisoned from birth? Like what is the genesis of this madness? Yeah, well, that debate tournament I mentioned, I mean, that was run by kids. So that was a kid decision, a bunch of, and the funniest thing of all is like, it's, you know, you have all these kids who are like, I'm an activist, I'm going to save the world. And they end up working for like Goldman Sachs or, or McKinsey yeah. after college. It's the funniest thing of all. I mean, really, you're going to change the world by working for an investment bank? Come on. <laughs> um, but no, I think these kids have been completely just, I mean, they're just been brainwashed and they've been taught to think that nowadays the, the virtuous people of society and the educated people of society, they all subscribe to this ideology. And so if you don't agree with it, you're uneducated, you're low status. And you really just aren't with the culture nowadays. And that's how it is. If you want to go to an elite school, you have to agree with the majority. And the majority says, you know, exclude whitey. You know, white people are, are you know, responsible for evil, evil acts that were conducted 100 years ago. And it's that's the sad state of things. And, you know, I think the saddest thing of all is, you know, you can raise a kid to be, you know, Catholic or religious or conservative or whatever. And if you send them to these schools, you legitimately do not know how they're going to come out. I mean, I think that to me is the saddest part. And it makes me wonder, you know, when I have kids, do I want to send them to these institutions? I mean, even if they're super smart and have the best test scores, do I want to send them to a, an Ivy League school knowing they're probably going to turn out hating the country, hating the family, hating themselves? Or do I want to send them to like a community college where I know they're going to get their money's worth and hopefully not turn out totally perverted and messed up? It's really a question I think people have to ask well, nowadays. Well, I, I wouldn't send my kid to university simply because I don't think it's financially worth it what they charge for school Absolutely. these days. But you're a perfect example of you, you, someone who went to one of these schools. You're, you're on a scholarship, so you don't have to deal with that. But they're not, they're apparently not getting to you. So they're not getting to everybody, whether that was because you had good parenting or there's just some inner fortitude with you. Um, I, I wouldn't be afraid of sending my own child to a, a school like that and having their mind warped because I teach them the right things. Like good parenting can always overcome outside influence from a bunch of strangers, in my opinion. But what you're talking about, um, the the way they're they're really pointing at young white men, it's bullying. Um, when I was a kid, I got bullied very severely. I hated it, of course. But in hindsight, I I give credit to my bullies for making me stronger, making me tougher. And I got to imagine, see, when a bully bullies you, it can only go one of two ways. You get tougher or you crack and you lose your shit. So that's what's happening to young white men. They're getting tougher some of them, and some of them are losing their shit. And that, and then you get a, a school shooter. Um, what is bullying like in the schools today? Like in my day, it was, it was physical. 
Um, you know, I would get my head shoved in a toilet or I would get put in a locker. I don't think that's going on as much anymore. I don't know. I'm not in school. What is bullying like in the schools today? Yeah, no, very good question. I think bullying nowadays is being called racist. I think there's nothing worse in the world nowadays than being called a racist. I think you can be called a pedophile, a rapist, any other word. But if you're called racist, if you're called the R word, your whole your whole life is over. You will lose friendships. You will lose jobs. You will lose everything. And I think nowadays these kids, they have all the institutions on their side. If they're if they decide to just gang up on an innocent or not an innocent, what they view as an evil Trump supporter, an evil conservative, and they call him racist enough and they get it going on social media and they get the post going, that kid's life is almost certainly going to be ruined. I would say also on a completely under, uh, other level, I would say, you know, women have the power to basically end any man's life by just calling him a rapist or accusing him of sexual assault. I think you're seeing that a lot. My school for a time had an anonymous account on Instagram where any person could just submit a post saying so-and-so raped me on this day. And there's no burden of proof. There's no anything. This account would post it. And of course it would spread because I mean, it's gossip Mm -hmm. and it's interesting and it's damning. So again, and, more and stuff was that, that happening? Were people being outed? That yes. Way? Uh, oh, all the time. And I think, I think fortunately, and I guess got to give credit to and Instagram. And are there consequences they, other than them just being shamed? Like, I mean, you know, if any employer sees that they're not going to risk hiring a rapist, even if there's no proof. I mean, you know, the burden of proof is never uh, is, is, is is totally, you know, ignored yeah. and not cared about. Yeah, see, that's society. a complicated one because we, we don't want rape, right? Of course not. But also girls lie. I've known a lot of girls. Girls sometimes lie. You can't, yeah. you know, this whole thing, like believe all women is a bunch of shit. We, we saw that in the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp thing. Girls yes. will tell lies. So the, I think that comes from a place of goodness. Let's start this open forum where girls can report rapists, but there needs to be some kind of accountability, some kind of investigation. And when someone lies and says they were raped, there needs to be some kind of action taken against that person so that there's consequences to lying. Like there was, there was something about 10 years ago, there was some girl, it was a Rolling Stone article, someone called mattress girl, I think is what they called her. And she was walking around campus with a mattress strapped to her back, um, carrying her cross for where she was raped. And it turns out she made up the whole thing. Then we had that Duke lacrosse story where she said she was gang raped also made up. And there were no, never, these men's lives were ruined. There were never any consequences for the women. So rape, heinous and horrible thing that happens. And those men should be castrated in my opinion, but there also needs to be consequences for something like an open forum where women can just say, Hey, I was raped just because maybe they had a bad date, which does happen. And let's not pretend that it doesn't. It's, it's, it's no good. And you, you mentioned something else. You said you can call someone anything, but you call them a racist, whether they are or not, that will ruin their lives. Like racist now is actually a worse thing to be called than a pedophile. We have people now who they don't call themselves pedophiles. They call themselves minor attracted people. This is a a term I'm just becoming familiar with. And there's a push, which as a parent, I find this horrible and terrifying that there is a push to legitimize this minor attracted people, people who are attracted to children as a new um, sexuality. Right. So there's, there's the 82 genders. There's all these sexualities. This is just another normal sexuality we're supposed to accept is that is that a term you've heard thrown around campuses and what's the general vibe on the minor attracted people yeah no if i'm being honest i i think that's still kind of a very new thing a thing that's kind of just being tested on so i i haven't heard on it you know anywhere in campus but 
it makes sense. I think it's the logical conclusion. I think, you know, if you, again, if you told people 10, 15 years ago, yeah, we're going to have 80 million genders and you can, you know, and you can change your sex and you can be on all these hormones at the age of eight, you know, they would say, get out of here. And so I think right now, if we're, if we're to say, oh, that's, you know, that's insane, minor attracted persons. I think that would be incredibly naive of us. I don't think there's much of a stopping ground anymore. I think the ideology that the left is pursuing is just so insane. I, I certainly could see, guys, I, I certainly could see it getting to that point. And what are we going to do then? We're going to, you know, we're, I mean, we can say we told you so, but it's going to come to the point where it's normalized. And what's, you know, that that's very scary. And that's why I think we need to fight now. We cannot be afraid of fighting back now because where, you know, what's the world going to look like 10 years from now? It's really going to look scary. Well, you're definitely fighting. So I, I, I appreciate you, man. Um, what is the biggest challenge in general? Or be specific. I don't know. Facing kids your age today. Oh, that's that's a large question. The biggest challenge, I would say, it's you know, it's a lot of things. I would say it's it's alienation from society. I think so many young people are just told to work and get the best job they can get, and you know, there's not much emphasis I think placed anymore on things that really matter, like family. Like, you know, this, like the small things, there's so much, at least, you know, at an elite university, like I, you, like I go to, there's just so much competitiveness and so much hyper-focus on, can I get the best job? Can I do this and that? And it's like, yeah, you know, work is great. Work is important, of course, but why do you work? You work for some greater purpose. You work to support your family. You work to have a legacy. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays there's just so much focus on work and getting, you know, a job on wall street or doing this and that, especially what they've done to young women. I mean, young women have been told Totally, I think, uh, you know, fallen victim to this. I mean, companies love young women because they can pay them, I think, less. I think women are more agreeable. And so if you want to know why companies are pushing the feminist ideology so much, they know they can exploit them for their own profit gains. And I think that's really sick. So I think just, you know, young people are just so obsessed with things that do not make them happy. Social media, um, you know, insecure. They're so insecure. And I think really, if we just got back to the very basics and we said, okay, what matters in life? Life is about, it is, is about finding things that really uh, fulfill you, like family, like, like, you know, religion maybe, or just staying true to where you came from and not hating your country. I mean, I think what they've done to young people is just, it's, it's, it's made them just robots. It's made them automatic. And yeah, I don't know if that's as specific as that my answer should have been, but it's, you know, no, I that, feel like that's, there's, that's good. There's, there's um, so much focus on work, but it's like work by itself is meaningless. There has to be some greater goal in mind. And I don't think there's that greater goal in mind anymore. Yes. It's a very, I think it's a very unhealthy and unsatisfying um, life to um, just be pushing to advance your career, advance your career. Like what is the end goal? It's like the, the guy who gets to the top of the mountain is the billionaire who's unhappy. Like you made it. Now you're still unhappy. Like what was your greater purpose? Um, when I, this is something I bring up a lot on this show and it's the actual fact that now you're an exception to this, uh, understand you come from a single family home, the most number one correlated statistic to whether or not someone, a young man ends up in jail, whether or not a young man graduates college, whether or not a young man ends up being happy is whether or not he grew up with a father 50 years ago. 70% of black families and something like 90% of white families came, kids came from two, two parent homes. Now it's something like 30% of black kids and something like, I think it was like 45% of white kids 
only come from the two-parent home. We've been seeing the destruction of family values now for 50, 60 years. Um, we saw, we've, we've been seeing it in pop culture for decades, right? It, it seems no doubt that part of the progressive ideology, whether intentional or not, seems to be to destroy family values. And I don't, I'm not talking about gay rights and all that because, you know, two gay people can have wonderful family values, have a kid, and, and that can be tremendous. But I'm talking about this idea of breaking apart the family, telling people not to have kids, uh, pushing expectations for pursuing excellence in your career. That's been going on for a long time, and it seems we're now starting to pay for it. Um, how do you feel uh, most kids your age, most guys your age, do they see themselves having a family or do they feel like that's not something they're interested in? You know, it's interesting. I think I think you would have to go to different parts of the country to really examine that. I think if you go to, uh, you know, like the South where I'm from, every young man wants to have a family and have a ranch or a big farm. I think if you go somewhere like California or New York, you would find much different answers. They're much more interested in living just a sort of very sex centric life and maybe just never having kids because what's the fun of having responsibility? They want to have very just free and easygoing lives. And so I think you would really find that. But I think also young people are worried that they might not even have the money to have kids. I mean, housing or how prices are through the roof. Um, you know, everything is just much more expensive. The world feels a lot more confused. I think a lot of young people are just so pessimistic about the future. They don't even think they can afford having kids or that they can be there for their, for their children. And so I think, you know, I think there's still are, you know, there's still plenty of men who do want to have kids, obviously. And also just going back to your point about, you know, uh, statistically speaking, young men without fathers are most likely to do that stuff. I think the reason why I'm an exception to that rule is because my mother is just like incredible, works multiple jobs, does everything she can to, you know, to give me the, the, the best childhood I could. And I think if you look at the numbers, I'm not going to say most, but a very significant number of single mothers are just not doing what they should be doing. And I can't blame them entirely. They need a husband. They need a father. Everyone needs a father. But I think single mothers, once they have a husband out of the equation, they really kind of just fall apart and their kid just has the freedom to do whatever they want because there's not a fatherly figure in the household. And that's why you see young men then committing crimes and joining gangs and doing very bad things because they don't have the they don't have the the, the fatherly figure in their life saying, don't do that and don't do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's so sad. It's really sad. And now you see the divorce rate is like 50 percent. Um, yeah, we're not we're not really heading towards a good path. And. God, I I pray to God things get better. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people would say what you just said was incredibly sexist (laughs) because we're not, see, we've, we've come to a point in society where we can no longer acknowledge that there's a difference between men and women, that there is value in being male. Men have some skills that women don't and vice versa. We complement each other. That's what makes a family. That's what makes a family work. So when the, the man is not there, that role needs to either be filled by the mother or it gets filled by the gang down the street. Right. Cause, cause um, children need a disciplinarian in their life. They need to, to look up to someone who they see as a, a figure of strength. Um, so the, the fact that we've gotten to the point where we deny these realities makes it hard to overcome those problems. You also mentioned the cost of living and that's been, that was a problem when I was a kid. That's something we were concerned about. It's 
when I was a kid compared to now, it's, it's no comparison. It's, it's, it's exponentially worse now. Like I would be terrified if, if I was in college right now. Um, that's another thing we talk about a lot on the show because, you know, we're coming at things from a libertarian angle and we see all of those problems, all the, the problems of inflation and the devaluation of dollar is a direct result of uh, actions taken by big government. Government has got, grown out of control in the last 30 years. Um, and a lot of people would say that that has happened intentionally because the only way we can repay the debt is to keep devaluing the dollar. You devalue the dollar so that you can pay back the interest on the debt, but you're ruining regular Americans in the process. Um, the only way we can be freed up from that is to course correct and shrink down the size of government, stop spending so much on the military, stop spending so much on things like uh, Social Security and Medicare, which terrifies people. But the, we either continue to spend until the dollar is worthless and we're all slaves or we fix it. So what I'm getting at is this. The generation above mine, the baby boomers, they've fucked things up <laughs> and, and they don't want to give up their grip on power. Right. Joe Biden, uh, Hillary, uh, all, all the all, everybody in government, they're like 70 years old. My generation, Generation X, we've been waiting in the wings for a while. But in about 15 more years, we're going to start dying off. That means the power is going to go from these boomers to your generation. Your generation is going to be the one to take take over and move things forward. What does an America run by Generation I don't know, whatever the hell you kids call your generation. I don't know what, what the name of it is, but what does an America run by your generation look like? Oh man. Do you mean my, like what ideally I want it to look like or what I think it's going to look like? Give me both. Okay. Well, you know, ideally I would hope, you know, people like me, cause I, I, I know there are enough young men and young people in general who do agree with me. I would hope they, they, they gain the confidence to really speak up and seize control of the, of the dialogue and not be bullied into silence. I would really hope that that is what the future pretends and young people are able to really just fix as much as they can. Unfortunately, I cannot say, I think that's going to happen. It could, but I think it's going to just be 10 times worse. And I think it's really going to be so much focused on race and not on class. People are going to totally avoid the class divide in this country. Even these so-called socialists are going to totally ignore the fact that, that at, at the end of the day, there's a lot uniting us on class and they're going to entirely focus on race and on diversity and on equity and inclusion. And it's going to get so bad that you're going to see tribalism break up in this country. And I think you're really going to see this is my my bold prediction. You're going to see the right become more and more radicalized to the point where white nationalism, if you want to call it that, will become mainstream. You're going to see white people so fed up with being treated like low class, with being treated like the undesirables of society. They're going to gain enough power and you're going to see maybe a, a person who's able to take control of that power and really start a movement. And I don't want that to happen, but you know, the left is really starting it. And you have to wonder, do they want that to happen? Do they want things to get so bad to the point where we just break up in total tribalism and total chaos? Because that's, I think the inevitable, I, I don't see how we're not heading towards that path by what the left and what, you know, what we're being forced to, to, to see and hear each and every day. I don't see how that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's that's depressing. You know, I think it was about two years ago, uh, John Brennan, he was the former director of the CIA, I believe he was on CNN, um, basically called 50 percent of the country terrorists. Yep. He, he even lumped in libertarians into his statement. 
Um, he called all Trump voters terrorists, like literally called them terrorists. And I said to my buddy at that time, my buddy who works for the Democratic Party, I said, these people, when they keep talking like this and keep preaching this division and identity politics, when, when you preach and preach and preach identity politics, what you do is you force people to identify, right? If you keep telling people you are your skin color, you force them to pick a tribe. People are tribal by nature. You're telling them you're this or you're that. Well, then people start to get tribal and you're going to manifest the reality of what you're preaching about how half the country is terrorists. You're going to turn, you're going to create terrorists with this kind of divisive language. And I, and that's essentially what you just echoed. And I think sadly you might be right, but I'm hoping some bright young men like yourself can, can take the reins from these old geezers and steer this country. Right now. I mean, you're, you're clearly, you're a bright young kid, um, when I was a freshman in college, I was getting arrested for streaking the girls' dormitories wearing nothing but a hockey mask. Like I did not have my shit together. I didn't get my shit together probably till I was 30. Yeah. Um, you're way ahead of the curve. You've humiliated the corporate media and you caught some years in the public square at a very young age, right? So you got a, a, a modest following on Twitter. It's growing. I got to imagine you're going to, you're going to, start to blow up like a young man who speaks truth like you so eloquently uh you're going to catch some more ears so what are you going to do with it do you have any plans yeah well you know i think i'm fortunate to go to such an like you know such an elite institution so i really want to take advantage of that and i really want to just shine a light on what's going on i want to take advantage of the fact that people like obama and ann applebaum are going to my school i mean i think i'm in a very unique situation. I only have three more years in college left and then I'm really in the real world. So I kind of have three years to kind of play around and see what works and see how much trouble I can get in. So I really want to take advantage of that. But, um, you know, I don't have, I don't have total plans yet. I'm definitely interested in journalism. I think there's not enough decent journalists nowadays. So I might pursue that field. (laughs) Right. So I might pursue that field. We'll see. But, um, as for now, I just really want to just use my college years to have fun. I mean, look, I'm not like, as you were saying earlier about streaking through the dorms, look, I like partying. I like having fun. I'm not some total bookworm. I do like being a kid and I do get a kick out of like humiliating. If you want to call it that, like these, the, you know, these total just corporate elite, like robots, like it is very funny to me. I do enjoy it. So if I can just keep doing that and have fun, I'm going, I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. Great. Just don't, don't get too big ahead with this mild fame you're getting. Keep your head on straight. <laughs> Big things are going to happen for you. I thank you for coming on the show. I thank you for calling those punks out. It was a beautiful thing. I thank you for calling out that professor. It was, it was a, everybody go to his Twitter, read the thread. I don't know if you have it pinned or whatever, but it's not too far down. It's, it's amazing. Um, I'd love to check back in with you in a year or so, see what you're up to and what other noise you're making. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Throw your Twitter handle out one more time and I'll put it in the, in the notes. Yeah, so it is Real D. Schmidt. That is S-C-H-M-I-D-T. All right, Daniel. Thanks so much, man. Thanks so much.